You're listening to The Boz Show, the socially conscious podcast for leaders. Corey, welcome to The Boz Show. How are you doing? Doing good. Good to be here. What's, uh, what's going on in your world? Uh, well, you know, we, the, the world continues to tell us that it's, uh, we're going to be on a buppy ride for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea is, is that uh, this provides us with an opportunity. And that opportunity says, you know, that uh, we're going to be facing a different world. So what do we want that world to look like? Mm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the challenge, right? I think we were all planning for something and, you know, we quickly were told that we need to do better. And um, that's where we're at right now. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, we know you're on the school board. You are also now a doctor in a doctoral program. Tell us a little bit about your background and what uh, really brought you to being involved in the community. Sure. Well, um, I was I was raised in the Inland Empire, mm. uh, went to uh, uh, kindergarten in Montclair. Nice. <laughs> first grade in Ontario, second grade in Chino. Okay. And then third through college, uh, Rialto. Nice. Um, and, and now uh, I spent the last 10 years here in Moreno Valley. Um, Before we get to the next point, have you heard? That, I remember when I was in high school, we heard this rap video about Rialto. Have you seen that video? Oh, back in the day. Yeah, that was when. <laughs> that was just like the funniest thing to me. I was like, what is this? It was just, you know, I never heard anyone rep Rialto like this. <laughs> that, I, I do remember that now. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, wow. It was like rolling in Rialto. And I was just. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, it, it, what's interesting is you're starting to see usually um, because the population is growing, so has been growing. I mean, I came out uh, into Rialto in the late 80s, like 88, mm. 89. And, and so it's, it's one of those places where people are starting to, you know, be raised and trained here and then go mm-hmm. on and do greater things right nice. yeah. uh and so i think that's just a product of of the community and the region starting to find its own identity mm-hmm. um, and its own culture and its own and its own strength yeah it's always uh beautiful to see people from their own communities uh being able to to give back i think one of the biggest challenges for the ie is always um people moving out of the area and a lot of the resources are, 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 are spread out. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, as we, and that's, that's something that we, we have to take on as a community as well. Mm-hmm. And that is how, how do we create a community where people want to stay and be able to thrive here? Mm. Um, I was one that to get enough experience under my belt um, and income experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, I worked in LA for six years, did that commute for six years, wow. right? You drove to LA every day. Every day for wow. six years. And, you know, I went through my phases of road rage and the whole, de- whole deal. <laughs> it's um, even got worse now. So, I mean, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And until I had an opportunity uh, to start SBX Youth and Family Services. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, now, you know, I, I rarely leave the city of Moreno Valley as a whole, rarely leave. 
Uh, what um, what led you to starting that? What was it that really sparked your interest and what compelled you to do something? It's actually always been a dream since uh, graduating from high school. Mm-hmm. Actually tried many times. I just didn't have enough experience and maturity mm-hmm. to actually be able to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so luckily I was able to get enough experience in various, various places of uh, employment and Mm -hmm. did a lot of work working for elected officials in the past and began creating, having networks and and understanding how things work. Mm -hmm. And um, for two years, I lived off of my savings. Wow. And, and took a bet. I was 30. Mm -hmm. I was 30 at the time. And I said, I got one more big risk in me. You know, what's funny is I'm 29 and I'm thinking mm-hmm. around the same lines. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Right. And so I said, okay, 30, here it goes. I have enough time. To, if I yeah. fail, I have enough time to recruit myself, you mm-hmm. know, reinvent myself and then get that retirement job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was a, there was a secret. Someone told me that you have to retire from multiple places. You got to do it a few times because, you know, you'll get retirement money from each split, each space and you get to do what you want to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think overall, I think society is, is built now where it's, it's pretty hard to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you didn't start your career in the, in the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s maybe mm-hmm. you know um you're gonna need multiple we are all being told right we have to have multiple streams of retirement mm-hmm. funds because social security is not going to cut it mm-hmm. um and so you know even as i uh, look at in terms of my own planning right mm-hmm. is is how do you make sure that that works so that um you can retire with some dignity mm-hmm. right um, and so in the Inland Empire, we know it's interesting enough, this used to be one of the cheapest, cheapest places to live. Yeah. That's... It, it's starting to change. You can't and, buy a house right now, not even if you wanted to, right? I mean, if, if, as long as you can get qualified for $450,000, $500,000, yeah, you, you can get a house. <laughs> yeah, but on top of that, well, there's no houses left. There's no inventory. Now every house has like 30, 40 offers on it. And, you know, it's just. Oh, absolutely. And, and so, you know, once again, that just means, well, uh, what does that look like? And that also shows just how important it is also that the value of property. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to have the type of property that we need, once you hold on to a house, don't get rid of it, pass it on. Mm-hmm. to the next generation right yeah. we're not we're not good at that uh well, our, i think i think there's our a, ancestors were good at it but yeah. we are not good at it well i think for uh for a lot of young people when they first get something from their parents generation they want to cash out they want they want the money <laughs> they want that immediate benefit they're just waiting sometimes you know unfortunately some people are waiting for their their their, their gra- grandparents and the parents to die just so they can get a house mm-hmm. uh, right but people who did that and they were from san francisco and oakland wish they would now they did yeah, you know yeah, just those are those, that two-bedroom house is a billion dollar property now <laughs> so so you worked in la now you're involved in social work now. What mm-hmm. compelled you to switch lanes and, and get into social work? 
I've always had a heart to serve. And so if I, at all of my employment mm-hmm. uh, throughout my life it had to be something that was meaningful. My first job was actually a uh, youth uh, volunteer coordinator for mm-hmm. the volunteer center of the Inland Empire. You're talking um, about well, Community Connect? Um, not that one. There was one in San Bernardino, one for San Bernardino County. Okay. Um, I'm not even sure if they're still in business at this point, but, um, that was one that I had. And after that, I just kept on moving. Now I tried Starbucks. I Uh tried Starbucks. (laughs) My memory is not too good to remember all them recipes, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so one day I just didn't show up. Um, and then, uh, I tried UPS that, Mm -hmm. that just didn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. So after that, I worked for elected officials, Mm -hmm. um, I've worked for five elected officials in my time. I mm. went to LA because I had a chance to work for U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer. Mm. Uh, and I represented her um, for about two years in LA. I was her LA County representative. Mm. Um, and then after that, I moved on over to uh, the uh, Los Angeles Universal Preschool that was funded through First $5 mm-hmm. uh, doing government relations work, right? Mm. But I always had a, I, I always wanted to do my own thing and to serve and young people are, was my sweet spot because that was mentored yeah, and wanted other people to have the opportunity to do so. And so started it from scratch and it's still kicking. Yeah. And it's all about creating. I think, uh, I think what happens a lot of times people feel like they can't do it. So they just don't do it. Right. But there's opportunities there and you just have to be creative and strategic. It takes a little bit of effort and, uh, you have to make that risk, which you just talked talked about, right? That that you know, being able to just take the leap is one of the hardest things to do. That that is, and that's why we're not taught to dream, uh, you know. And I think that's one of the problems with our public education system mm-hmm. that is it, it it teaches you how to be useful to other people. Yeah, it doesn't teach you to be useful to the world. You see, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and because to be useful to the world, you got to be able to dream to say, what, what, how do I envision the world, mm-hmm. right? And now the vision, the part of the world that I envision, right, is how do I believe young people should be supported and the communities that they should be living in, right? Oh. And, and I've been working for 10 years to con- continue to p- put those different components together, mm. you know, um, and uh, give them an opportunity. You know, you have to have a dream, but you also have to be a, have a realistic plan. Yeah. Right. Dream big. We're talking, we always say dream big, but we're never taught. Okay. But how do you get to that dream? Right. Mm. Um, and so um, I've just been able to be able to piece it together and, and, and leverage networks and relationships to be able to do it. Yeah. For me, you know, <clears throat> one of the reasons, what really compelled me to just take a risk and just, you know, starting my own organization was reading the uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. I mean, what's Mm. really interesting is it was just, it was just about when you hear a story and the stuff that he mentions, it's just about taking control of what you have and being able to build because, you know, I think, you know, although I I probably don't agree with all of his viewpoints on policy and all his earlier views he had about, um, uh, navigating politics, what you did teach people was to take control of what you do have and just build your own thing because 
no one else is going to hand you anything. Right. And, um, from one perspective, uh, it's challenging because not everyone can do that, but it's also powerful for the people that do take that narrative and just decide, you know, I'm going to build something. I'm going to use my resources and, you know, I can't rely on anyone else to take care of me. Um, absolutely. I mean, and that's really, really what it means to be free. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, to, because to be free, you have to not have to rely on other people. Uh, There's so Mm -hmm. many people who want to do the right thing and say the right thing. Right. But they're afraid of the ones who control them. Yes. That's the challenge of politics, right? You make one mistake and you're done. Absolutely. uh, Um, But, but that's also what it means to be free. I mean, it's possible to make mistakes. It just depends on what kind of mistakes they are. mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I, my, my thought is that, you know, I had to, right. I, I, five years Mm -hmm. I worked for uh, Los Angeles universal preschool. Now it's called, I think it's something 360. Um, but I worked for five years, right? Doing what I'm told, making sure I'm delivering on mm-hmm. my job responsibilities. Uh, but I, I built up enough of, of savings, right? To be able to then take that big risk to mm-hmm. then be free. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. And so they're-, they're It's about they're, being strategic. It's being strategic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but people spend the majority of their life, right, until they get to that golden age of 60 or 65 yeah. to then be free. Yeah. Right. I mean, your life is you're, you're pretty mean, much gone. You're like you spent 30 years doing living in a way that you didn't want to. Right. You didn't want to. Or some people might actually enjoy that job. Right. And that's what yeah. they want to do. That's great. But I, I the majority of people in this world, unfortunately, right or doing things because they feel like they have to do mm-hmm. and uh because of that it allows too many of us to be controlled which means it allows people in power to continue to exploit others mm-hmm. yeah and, and i think that's the one thing about malcolm x's biography i mean at the end of the day he made a decision that he was not going to be controlled by anyone he spoke the truth and he went his whole life speaking uh what he believed in and he ultimately gave his life for it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's just, I mean, when you think about those moments in his, in his life uh, towards the end, when he knew he was struggling to get, he, they were going to take his house away. They were going to, you know, they, they firebombed his house. He, had, he faced all those pressures and he still, you know, kept to himself and realized that, you know, the truth matters and not many people can make that sacrifice. I mean, that's the ultimate sacrifice uh, to be able to make. It's amazing how we uplift people who are willing to make that uh, that sacrifice, meaning they no longer live for themselves. They yeah. lived for a purpose, an idea, a mm-hmm. movement, right? Yeah. Um, and even though we celebrate them, we ourselves fall into that trap of all the people, right, that they ended up complaining about. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the middle class people they always complained about, right? Yeah. You, you you read you read Gandhi <laughs> you read Malcolm X you you, you read yeah, Martin Luther com- King. It's the complacent people. That's what it is, right? Why? Because they're trying to protect the little comfort they've been able to acquire, mm-hmm. right? And 
they all said, right, that the, the real people, mm-hmm. there's two kinds of people who are holding up true justice, true freedom, true mm-hmm. fairness. It's the middle class protecting the little comfort they have mm-hmm. and those who remain silent. Mm. And, right. And that's the majority, right? That's, that's there, there, there it is. And so the question that I think we all have to make is, is are we willing to do that? Because usually everyone loves Harriet Tubman, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, she died very broke. Yeah. Right. Uh, Martin Luther King wasn't a, mel- uh, a wealthy man, mm-hmm. uh, right? Malcolm X wasn't a wealthy man. He never owned his own house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? He never owned his own house. He had house. a few suits and, you know, that was it. That, that was it. And But I think this time in history, and I, I think this is the most important part is, is that we have to realize that we are in a historic time. And people are going to be talking about this time in history for generations to come. And the question is going to be, what do we do during this time? Right. So, so talk to me about that. I know now you've started this anti-racism council and you're working towards addressing these issues. Um, first share with me why you started it and where, 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 where do you envision it going? Sure. Uh, the Center Against Racism and Trauma is really designed for the Inland Empire to have its own anti-racist institution uh, that continues to push issues of anti-racism to the forefront mm. of our discourse, of our policy priorities, mm-hmm. um, uh, and making sure that no more generations grow up without understanding racism and how to fight it, mm. right? Many of us had to catch up mm. on about racism. Why? Um, I remember um, a discussion that I had with uh, Harry Belafonte. Mm. And uh, he said the worst thing that his generation did was not pass on the knowledge of how to fight oppression and, and civil rights we did not, they did not pass it on to the next generation. Mm. And, and what, why is that? What was the challenge? What was the gap? Well, remember once the, the Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, uh, 1964, 1965, right, was passed. Mm-hmm. It was all about, okay, we've, we've, we've tore down some of these laws. Now we can just about live anywhere we want to and, mm-hmm. and hopefully get a job that we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was about now economic freedom. Mm. right and so they were telling their kids go to school right buy a house Mm -hmm. right live that middle class life Mm. right and uh, but they failed to realize right that this racism stuff didn't go just wasn't going to just go away it didn't go away i think there was there was a push and i think that's interesting that you mentioned that maybe within the civil rights but also from from the many um Muslim leaders that were involved in civil rights, they were also pushing the same narrative. It was not no longer about uh, protesting the law enforcement, for example, or going after uh, uh, some of the systems of oppression. It was get involved, get into the system, right? It was become part of the establishment uh, and then start changing it from within. And I think for generations, many people did that, but the system didn't change. 
Right. And it stopped being a pursuit of, of justice and a pursuit of getting into the middle class. Mm. Right. And because of that, we had multiple generations, uh, the 60s babies, the 70s babies, the 80s babies, right? Mm -hmm. Even the 90s babies, it was all about, right? That was the push, go to college, Mm -hmm. get a good job, buy a home, right? That kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. So you had all those generations that didn't have to fight in a movement, Mm. And so four decades now, later, maybe five, five decades later, right? Everything was restarted. History is repeating itself. But the inequalities didn't change for all those generations either. For the most part, no. I mean, you still had greater numbers of those in the middle class, but it wasn't the majority, Mm -hmm. right? And then those who were part of the middle class, they said, okay, now you try it. I already did my part, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I think now, I think what's interesting about the complacency point, I think now what's happening is there's a fear about from the middle class, they're going to lose the middle class. So now they're starting to speak up, not because it affects the lower class, it, it affects them. So they're like, okay, well, now we don't want this middle class to disappear, <laughs> which is slowly leaving. Let's speak up now. Absolutely. It it becomes a a fight for self-preservation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But but true change comes when you stop thinking about yourself and you start trying to lift up others, right? Mm -hmm. That's the greatest greatest joy. I mean, uh, uh, anyone who calls themselves a person of faith or any faith Mm -hmm. and and they try and and they make their priority to stay comfortable, right? It goes against the very very faith they profess Mm -hmm. to have. Right. I mean, and the world by default is not a comfortable place. That's the thing, right? Oh, it's but, a merciful, it's a, mer- it's, it's, it's merciless. It's merciless, right? It's, it, it is, it's uh, violent. Yeah. Um, it is even, even in your best of times, life will throw you something, right? Yeah. It's interesting. It's either, and I heard this statement a few times. If you don't go to the struggle, the struggle will come to you. And sometimes <laughs> the struggle that comes to you is beyond i mean anything could happen right your struggle could be the dumbest thing in the world right but that becomes your struggle and the the reality is you can't escape it there's always going to be struggles and it's much better to go after something that's meaningful oh absolutely and and if you struggle the right way it becomes beautiful Mm -hmm. there's beauty in some struggles Mm. right and and i i think that's what people fail to to see we spend most of our life trying to be as comfortable as possible, mm. which is why we don't, we, most of us do not um, truly get to exercise our full humanity. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by full humanity, I mean our full rights, mm-hmm. our full God given talents, mm. right? Um, taking that risk, overcoming the fear. There we go. Right. And so there's something beauty in a struggle because struggles do make you stronger. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why it was always the saying that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Mm -hmm. Right. And the idea is there's very few things that will kill you. Yeah. Now you might want to die while you go through them. Right. (laughs) But you, but, but when you learn how to appreciate those things, Mm -hmm. when you appreciate, 
appreciate all the mistakes that you made. And now you can say, I'm glad I make those mistakes now. Mm. I'm glad I went through that. Yeah. You know, I mean, the biggest struggles are our learning opportunities, unfortunately, right? Sometimes you don't, something could happen, happen to you in life that's very difficult, but that difficult moment really just shapes your outlook for the next 20, 30 years. Uh, and, you know, many people go through many hard challenges. I mean, just right now we're going to uh, go to the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Mm. And, uh, you know, particularly for the Muslim community, there was a lot of uh, discrimination post 9-11. There was a lot of struggle. There's a lot of tax on Muslims, but it also uh, put us in a position where we realized we, as a community, we need to get organized. We need to understand who we are, what we stand for, how to build our institutions, how to respond. I mean, we were thrown into the spotlight a few days and everyone was calling up local mosques and communities and just putting the randomest people on the news. And, you mm -hmm. know, ultimately we were forced to uh, defend a narrative that was just monstrous, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's one of the, uh, humanity is something else. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> humanity is something else. And un unfortunately, humanity um, unchecked can be very ugly and evil. Mm. And of course the Muslim community experienced that. Uh, you know, anyone in this country, Native Americans experienced mm -hmm. it first, you know, and uh, uh, we also see the same thing from time to time in the uh, Jewish community, mm -hmm. African-American community, the immigrant community, right? Our API brothers and sisters ex has experienced it, experienced it. But I think we also fell from the same thing. And that is, you know, we're all in this together. And if, if I'm not being discriminated against, right, then it's going to be you next. Mm -hmm. And then after you, it might come back to me, mm -hmm. right? So why don't we just band together and do this right? Yeah. You, you know? And that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's where the struggle is. I think, you know, I think people don't realize in, in 20 years, I think it was 20 years or 30 years, America is going to be half of the country is going to be a minority country in the sense that there's going to be multiple different types of people that's going to make up half of the country. Oh, uh, absolutely. And I mean, that's why we're seeing so much uh, white supremacy going around because, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're trying to protect what power that they, that they have left. Um, and uh, just recently here in the Inland Empire, you already see uh, different schools uh, um, having issues of racism, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have some hot spots in the Inland Empire uh, that are raising a new generation of racists. Yeah, definitely. I'm not going to say Fontana, but Fontana seems like one of those places. <laughs> You know, Fontana used to be KKK headquarters for the Illinois Empire. Yeah, yeah. But literally, it was. Um, I'm not sure if the, the house that they used to have there is still there, right? But the mayor was KKK. The police chief was KKK. Sierra Avenue was where they had mm -hmm. the annual KKK uh, parade, right? I mean, when I was growing up, I was told, 
don't you be there at go be there at nighttime mm -hmm. right there was some some cities where we just knew we should not be at right. night a lot of people Montana, when they come in the area they don't know the history right they just know but that that uh atmosphere still exists just maybe not in the the front of the town but as soon as you start getting into the corners and other places you'll start seeing uh remnants right and so cart is actually looking at a few cities that are very we're seeing some disturbing things mm -hmm. um, temecula continues to come up uh, really with all the changes in temecula it still hasn't um it, it you know it's its facade has changed mm -hmm. but underneath it's it's still some scary stuff over there um of course we saw the um what happened in Norco when when things got violent mm -hmm. um, over uh, last not this past summer but the summer before mm -hmm. um, we we saw people in Yukaipa on roofs with shotguns and guns you know wow uh, I mean we're we're seeing these things in different places Hammett is dealing with some stuff population shifts are happening. Hem is just weird to me. I, I it's, got... it's, it's, fate, it's, it's moving fast. Mm -hmm. So there's that normal tension mm -hmm. for people who are used to seeing Hammett a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but all that says to, 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 to me is that we, we have got to continue to force conversations about mm -hmm. uh, racism, teach others to teach the people who are closest to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, it's harder for strangers to have these discussions about racism. It has to be people, you know, who profess to love you at least, mm. you know? Uh, and, and so it has to be one person to another saying, hey, you know, I'm, uh, we're related and I don't agree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, matter of fact is you're putting other people in danger when you say stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, those are the, those are difficult conversations. And I think, you know, I think there's some family conversations that I see happening, you know, people that are, you know, their parents think a certain way, or, you know, a father thinks a certain way, their children are now speaking up and it's, uh, it's creating some healthy tension that needs, that's needed to be happening. But I think it's, uh, it's always a struggle for people to hold their own family members accountable where, mm -hmm. where it all begins. So, um, so my last question is what's the vision for cart? Where, where do you see, uh, yourself in maybe you know five to ten years five to ten years um, is for it to be its own freestanding institution in the inland empire mm -hmm. so that uh, that continues to organize and support anti-racist campaigns mm -hmm. right uh, and into uh, uh, for generations to come mm -hmm. Uh, which also means providing training, but also movement building, uh, but also helping people to heal from mm -hmm. the racist trauma that that people suffer um, on a daily basis. Mm. You know, um, and so um, I don't believe that CART will be successful if it doesn't live for at least a hundred years. Mm. Passing it down generation generation. Absolutely right. We have to be our ver Inland Empire needs his own version of the Museum of Tolerance. Mm. The Inland Empire needs to have its own version, right, of uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, you know, um, and so I, I think that's the the greatest task is is the institution building, mm. and we need more people to do institution building. 
because if we don't build new institutions, the old ones will continue to thrive. Mm-hmm. And those have too much. <laughs> those those are infected. <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge, right? That's it goes back to the complacency and a lot of baggage. That's the challenge. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, my encouragement would be for everyone to do their part mm-hmm. uh, to find their justice voice um, and making sure that they're doing everything that they can uh, to uh, to create the world that our children deserve to live in, mm. right? I'm not sure if you have children yet. No, I just got a cat uh, actually recently. Uh, <laughs> I treat it uh, treated like a child. <laughs> right, but, but that gives you an opportunity to say, hey, if I decide to have children, what kind of world, am I okay with them growing up in the world as mm. it exists today, mm. right? Like our respect responsibility is to ensure the next generation is just a little bit better. Just a little bit better, but I'm not sure we can say that right now. The worst thing you wanna do is you have your, you have a child becomes 20 and then the child asks you one day, you know, what were you doing back then when all this stuff happened, right? When the people were talking about it and when there were protests and things like that, you don't ever wanna go to your son or daughter and just say that, you know, I sat around all day. Absolutely. All right, Corey, I appreciate your time. Uh, It was good talking to you, good connecting, you know, hope your work goes well and we'll stay connected. Absolutely. Great work. Thank you, sir. Thank you guys for listening to The Boz Show. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share.